Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to the Yes, Indeed podcast. Uh, this is episode one. It's December the 3rd. And we're going to talk about some stuff. But first, I'm talking, and my name is Brian Computer. And with me is... I'm uh, Ben Zager. And uh, we don't totally know what we're doing. <laughs> uh, we sound a bit like each other. And we look a bit like each other. Not that that's relevant. But, uh, yay. Good good on your ears. Two things that are similar. Um, that's so, a real test. You have, to, you have to figure out who's who the whole time. <laughs> That's how you win. That's the win condition for the podcast. Email us. At... <laughs> no. Um, so what we wanted to do with this podcast is we realized that uh, when we hung out together, the thing that we really liked the most was when we played a thing or did a thing and then immediately talked about it afterwards because I like how Ben thinks and I think Ben likes how I think. I really like how Brian thinks. So that's good. I didn't uh, set that up or anything. Um <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to just talk about what we've done in the various week, and uh, whether it's any type of culture, because we figure that people like hearing about music and board games and video games, and we do all those things. So that's fun. Yeah, it is fun. That's that's what life's all about sometimes. It's fun. Wow. 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 Yes, indeed. So recently, Brian, uh, for the first time, started taking improv classes, and surprise, surprise, he loves music so much, he took a musical improv class, and he learned something there that both of us totally fell in love with. Do you want to share a little bit about how so it works? So it's the best thing ever, and if you're waiting for a subway train, or if you're on a subway train, you can do it by yourself, and it's the most fun thing ever, but it's even better if you're there with someone and never know what to talk about because normally you're doing things together, which is the case of Ben and I. So it's a game that, it's a rhyming game because, uh, yeah, and it's a game called, we've called it A Hunt Without the Hunt. Uh, and it, it's very simple. Um, and we, we like it so much that we're just going to have leave random ones in the middle of the podcast. Um, I would explain how they work, but it's easier to just hear it. So there. It's like the rules without the lesson. It's like, the anxiety without the stressin'. It's like the stressin' without the ballin'. It's like the taking you back without the callin'. It's like the callin' without the cat. It's like the slim without the fat. So our first topic is board games, uh, of which I have an entire wall. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> as anyone worth their salt in board games knows, uh, you need different kinds of board games for different kinds of people. Um, so on that note, uh, Ben and I host a thing every Sunday in New York called, uh, board game Sundays. I don't know. It has a name, but we but... play board games on Sundays. So that's, that's the essence of it. <laughs> so th that, that name I just came up with is, is very informative. Um, <laughs> it tells you what we do, but basically we just invite all our friends over and we play board games every week. Um, and it's always interesting because people have such busy lives. You get a different crowd of people every time uh and as as brian said different board games are better for different numbers of people and different kinds of people who are in different kinds of moods uh so to cover all those permutations you do really need a robust collection 
And speaking of how player counts vary, so we had like five people last week, mm-hmm. and we're going to have 15 people this week. 15 today. If not, It seems more like 16 at this point, but... We're but hoping, one of yours doesn't count. We're hoping we're hoping that people flake. Sometimes people are flaky, and that's good for us when there's 15 people who are SVP. Yes, this is definitely one of those moments where uh, people waking up and being like, "It's hard to leave my apartment." is very good for us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, what did we play last week? We played uh, two games: Citadels and Catacombs. Yeah, we did. And Citadels, you've wanted to play for it seems like years. Yeah, it's, so it's a it's a weird game because it's um, to people who are board game people, it's a game they've played to death. Um, we had our old roommate living with us, Marietta. She she just played Citadels like so many times. She was like, "Why do you why are you hyped to play Citadels? We've played that a gajillion times." Um, do you want to give like a little overview of, of how the game works? Sure. So the the major objective is to kind of build a city, and you want to have it be as robust as possible and as as different as possible um and as impressive as possible um and to do so you kind of get get gold and spend it on buildings but the major mechanic is that every round people take on these roles so either you're an architect or an assassin or a king or something and that that has a pretty big impact on gameplay and um both round order in terms of who takes whose turn when and then other auxiliary effects like choosing a person who doesn't get to take a turn or uh, destroying someone's building or something like that. So it's a lot of game theory. Yeah, and and uh, I've I've found that it's the game that there's has the most differential between explaining how uh, how simple it is and how simple it actually is. Because when you're explaining it, you're like oh, well, yeah, the game really comes alive when I'm like, okay, so I'm the thief, and I want to steal from Ben. What is Ben going to play? Ben is probably, Ben wants to, uh, Ben has a lot of green buildings, so he wants to take the card that gives him money for green buildings. But he knows that I know that he wants to take the thing <laughs> that's green. And the, and when you tell them that, because that's what makes the game really fun, people are, people's heads explode. Yeah. Uh, and then when you just start playing, it works. It just works. <laughs> it's super simple. And... It takes like a couple rounds, but once you're in it, it's actually, uh, it's very straightforward and a lot of fun. Totally. Well, that's also this kind of thing where like you and I both studied economics in school and that allows us to be able to conceptualize of things more explicitly. But there's a lot of people, I mean, every day people use game theory. Yeah. So uh, just because we have a fancy academic word for it, like it it's easier for us to grasp it. But as soon as you put someone else in a situation where they're, you know, trying to do the best thing that they can and also stop other people from yeah. winning, you know, just because they don't understand matrices and stuff, they, they totally get into the whole, the whole flow of, of trying to, to be strategic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a heading name for like, when you're making a decision, you think about what other people are thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so it's, um, we had a, a lovely little game. Uh, one of the new, one of the first timers won, yeah. which is super cool. Um, I was constantly in the position. So the way the game works is, whoever takes the king card gets to pick their roles first that round. So whoever is all the way to the right of the king card is the person who only ever gets to choose between one of two cards. Yeah, and that was me most of the game <laughs> because our first player kept picking the king card. 
which was, I mean, fair play. <laughs> but I was like, come on, what is this? Uh, so that meant I didn't. And that is, I think that's the most punishing thing about Citadels mm-hmm. is that sometimes, like, the part of the game theory that makes it fun also means that, like, when you're the assassin, you pick a person and they don't have a turn. So there's, like, and you pick, someone picks a thief and then that person has all their money stolen. So um, if you don't have any money, that's totally fine. But otherwise, those two things make someone not play, mm-hmm. um, which is a little frustrating. But at the same time, um, you'll, you'll get yours next round. So. Yeah, the, the rounds are pretty fast. Um, so that makes it less of a of a hiccup but one thing that we will refer to a lot in this podcast and i'm sure in future podcasts is how much we love cooperative games because in cooperative board games or video games uh there's this need for all the time you spend playing to be in service of one another um so uh you don't you don't get in these situations where you're kind of frustrated with each other and, and attacking each other and uh, it kind of negatively impacted in the game by another player. Um, but instead you are all playing all the time in order to help one another as much as possible, which is a very different kind of experience. And um, it's not as, as well known necessarily. So a lot of people who are, used to games being extremely competitive and kind of have this very competitive edge. They kind of don't know what to do with that necessarily. Yeah, people's people's gaming memories is like, yeah, so when we played Gra- Monopoly with Grandma, she was the kind of person who was like, I want to take all every last dollar you have. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, that's not a great gaming experience, no. number one, because uh, Monopoly's uh, no rough good. around the edges. <laughs> but also... Like, sometimes it's nice to have, like, a, a fun time with your mates. Speaking of, also, the next three games, board games that we're talking about, are all cooperative. There you go. <laughs> so, go Ben, sequiting. So, the the next one, which Brian lovingly calls catacombs, which is pronounced by us in the U.S. as catacombs. For the is... record, I do that because I love England, and <laughs> I listened, so my favorite board game, podcast shut up and sit down uh who do this much better than we do um <laughs> they call it catacombs i don't know why because it's I, that's it's apparently how, how the british do it yeah um and but i've heard them talk about the board game more than i've heard americans talk about the board game <laughs> so my brain has it in my head that 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 game's called catacombs it's true <laughs> um but in in this game uh again it is it is cooperative for the most part and you uh are kind of playing through a fairly standard fantasy dungeon situation where you kind of move from arena to arena and there are bad bad people to fight, bad creatures, and you're all kind of using your different abilities to help one another kill stuff better, basically. Um, and you kind of work your way through all the way to the end and face a boss and beat the boss and win. And on paper, it seems like a pretty standard type of of dungeon crawler game it's the mid introduction turnaround (laughs) mid introduction turnaround tell them what they want ben (laughs) what you win is the ability to flick stuff all the time so the all the characters are these little discs and all the enemies are little discs and you're trying to just bank shots 
off of things. And if you're a melee fighter, you're trying to flick yourself into people. And if you're an archer, you're trying to flick your uh, your arrows into people. And if you're a wizard or a summoner, you flick spells and summon creatures into, into other people. And the whole thing is just completely silly. Um, but what what I love about it is that, you know, unlike a game... I played Crazy Bones a lot growing up, those like tiny plastic things where you just kind of flick them and try to hit one another. And that was fine. But the thing that makes Catacombs go from being this game of just blind flicking fun to being something that uh, I I consider to be a really surprisingly well-designed game is how tactical things become. Um, so we had, we had um, three people, uh, three, four, was for, yeah. Uh, so the other thing about it is that one person plays yeah. the like dungeon master, kind of like game master. So they play as the enemy. Um, so that was my role, and it's an interesting challenge in of itself because you wanna your goal is to make everybody have the most fun. So like you could get like tactic C in the weeds and stuff, uh, but in the end of the day, like you're if you're doing a good job the good guys should win barely. Right. Um, Which is basically what Brian did. It was very impressive. Yeah. Um, partially by accident, partially because <laughs> I was trying really hard. But uh, yeah, it was it was really cool to watch, especially from my side, where everybody, and this part of it was like we had a really good crew that we were playing with. Yeah, but, definitely. Uh, like everyone took on the like tactical viewpoint of whoever they were playing as. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ryan was a barbarian and he was like, I'm going in. Okay, and everyone was like, "Why? Why? Oh, oh God! God you're, you're dead." Oh. Um, and then uh, our other melee character, Caroline, she was uh, she was a skeleton who was melee, so she was a, she was going in too. Mm-hmm. And you were rogue, so you were like, "All right, so my my thing is that I get to attack people and then run away, so I'm going to be very careful about how I go forward." And then the other person, uh, Catherine, she was an archer. So she was, I'm just going to hang back and like, I only have two arrows each round. So I want to make sure they're used really well. And like, I'm really safe. So everybody super tailored to who their people were. And even were like, why, oh, why are you doing that? Because their characters had different motivations, which is amazing. Yeah. The role playing and it was really good. And again, kind of one thing that, uh, Brian has said for a while that I'm, I'm a big believer in is that the best kind of game whether it's a board game or a video game or anything else really lets you uh especially multiplayer ones really let you enjoy your friends more so something like catacombs where you're role-playing you're being strategic and uh people are able to actually um be themselves in a fun way and you get to see your friends and how they think and how they act in funny situations that's really the the part that that makes it the most fun you know if the game is doing the work to make it fun it's never going to be as enjoyable as if your friends are the ones who are letting their fun shine through yep and yeah the the just the the moments of outburst where you're like oh god oh god why did you do that <laughs> like that's you can't beat that that's the best yeah and, and yeah putting putting yourself in a situation where ryan charges in blindly and is about to die unless everyone uses their turn tactically to protect him it's just it's just a really well designed experience so that people can all contribute to everyone else's fun yeah 
So that's that's catacombs. Uh, very good time. Uh, next game we're going to talk about uh, is a game that the two of us played together. So we're we're kind of done with the board game Sundays mm-hmm. uh, piece that we did. Uh, and we yesterday played the tutorial mission first of all. So it's a uh, the first game you play of this game teaches you how to play um so you don't have to read a rule book which i thought was it does really well but mm-hmm. that game is uh, a game called fog of love um which is uh, a bit of the backstory is it was designed by somebody who more or less designed it because he has a, a just a metric huge amount of board games uh and his wife doesn't want to play any of them with him so he was like well you know what Fan, I'm going to design a board game that you will want to play. Moha, snicker, snicker. Um, so more or less did that. And it's and it's a game that is uh, like a relationship building modeling game where you play as two people who uh, are either like been dating, just started dating, and you just like have events like going to Ikea together. Um, and then the game kind of like models who you are as people and you kind of, uh, try to fulfill who you are in the relationship. And if you don't, then you won't be as happy in the relationship as, uh, you are. And then obviously a big piece of it is trying to hit the same shared goal in that couple also. Yeah. The whole, the whole thing feels like it's a playable romantic comedy or romantic tragedy, depending on how (laughs) things play themselves out. Um, and it, it is really interesting, um, just talk about the, the tutorial element first. Um, obviously video games use tutorials a lot and we've had other board games that we've played where you need to play through a tutorial instead of just reading a rule book and famously Mage Knight has its own. (laughs) Mage Knight is the most epic game of all time. It's, it's, you should only play it if you have at least six hours to sit down and play it. It has a rule book. To tell you how to read the rule book. Yeah, it's pretty intense. But, but back to Pokemon. But yeah, the idea is this this idea of gamification and you know, people get excited and engaged with games in a way that they don't by just reading or something. And uh, speaking of someone who used to be a huge avid reader and is now a pretty big gamer, I I feel like the the fact that you can hand someone uh, a game to learn and tell them you don't have to learn this by reading you can learn this by playing is a really exciting proposition um and yeah i think that they did a really good job of making the tutorial feel like a story in and of itself um rather than just a mechanical like this is what this card is this is what this card is um but but yeah i mean the Speaking of stories, that's that's one of the things that I like the most about Fog of Love is that you really did feel like not only did you start to role play as these characters in this relationship, but you felt like their relationship changed over time. So the game is built in such a way so that there are these little moments, these little scenes that you each play and they kind of uh, are drawn from different decks that represent different types of situations whether they're sweet or serious or whatever else. So before and, before yeah. that, real quick. Uh, so the all of this is possible and like replayable as all hell because uh, you start the game and you like get certain traits and attributes. Mm-hmm. So like the very first thing you do in the game is uh, you like determine who you are, 
So like you were Gracie. Yes. Yeah, and I was Annabelle, and um, and uh, the game lets you choose your gender. So first of all, yay, big ups, um, for both parties, which is also great. Even and we were worried because we opened the box and it was like blue and pink, and we were like, oh no, the pink is the girl and the blue is, the and then they let us choose whatever. So just well done. Um, but yeah, uh, you. The really cool thing is you get like a, tr- a five traits in your hand, and then you pick three of them, and those are kind of like your you're happy in the relationship if you get to be who you are and here's who you are. So I was, you know, I was cocky and insecure and uh, was a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. So already you hear those three adjectives about someone and you're like, I know who that person is. Mm-hmm. So like that guides you on how to play the game and your three were... Yeah, I was, I was a kind and ambitious and... Uh... Yeah, something something in in line with ambitious. It was all like career obsessed or something, um, and and it was perfect because you are a politician, right? Yeah, you also <laughs> on top of these traits, you also get um, a, a job and some other details some, about you, some like physical or like uh, traits that so that that also was really cool. That was cool. The game introduced this concept where um, you're giving features to the other person, but you notice them. You it's like you notice in that other person these traits. So I got to say, oh, well, the thing that I really liked about you or your bedroom eyes or your smile. And um, it's just this cool way to like include the other person in your own character creation and give you, add a little color to your uh, to your character. It's, it's a really cool mechanic. It is. And, and the, whole, the whole time you're playing this game, it really does kind of call back to... Uh, moments that you have had in life where you've been in a relationship or or fallen in love with someone or something like that and you know when you're when you're meeting someone for the first time who you have a spark with there is this moment where you kind of notice these very strange small details about them that really stand out to you like ooh, like that's interesting you you chose to put your hair like that or wear that or get that piercing or whatever and um and this game opens with you kind of noticing something or a series of things about the other person um which again helps you kind of get into the mentality of that honeymoon phase and and then um again mechanically the game is built in these chapters and from one to the next uh you kind of feel the evolution of this relationship um from basically just the honeymoon phase of being really sweet with each other to things starting to get a little bit more serious to, you know, the really tough parts where you're dealing with money and, you know, jealousy and trying to figure out, like, if you want this to be a long-term relationship or if if this is only just, like, a thing to, to help you be happy in the moment. Um, and, and I, through playing the tutorial, I really felt like, I went on a on a journey, you know, from that initial exciting meeting someone for the first time to like being in a really dysfunctional relationship where things had kind of gotten to a breaking point and then uh in the end we we didn't stay together. Yeah, and it's and yeah, I I'd, I'd say this it's almost like the the like tightest role-playing game that I can think of because mm-hmm. it's so it has a lot of mechanics 
obviously, so it's not as like use your but it is use your entire imagination. I can't even say that. I can't even say that it's not like D and D. You're not, you know, you're you're put in a bit of a box. No, it's like we get to like fully express and think who these people are. And yeah, there are in-game decisions that you want to make because you want to fulfill your trait. Um, so like if I'm cocky, I need to be like less sincere or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I will, I'm incented to make choices that are insincere, mm-hmm. I guess. But, um, but it lets your imagination run wild with why, uh, like, why did I actually choose that? Like, what's the human reason? And there's mm-hmm. always a human reason. Um, yeah, we didn't stay together because uh, because as we were making these choices, it was clear that these two people weren't compatible. Yeah. And that um, there was this... It, the game modeled this relationship really well where it was, you know, Gracie and Annabelle had a very well-working functional relationship. Uh, they weren't just... great to each other as humans. Yeah. and 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 you felt like... Um, their their definitions of love um, weren't in sync with one another. That they they really wanted different things out of a relationship with someone else. You know, where by the end, um, uh, Gracie really wanted to be in this kind of uh, even give and take, communicative, loving partnership. And Annabelle didn't. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the, one of my favorite bits of imparting story on earlier choices for me is so I have uh, Annabelle who I'm I'm now determined like more or less wanted to like fix Gracie and have Gracie be like a thing that she could brag about and like a thing that she made better. So when very early on I gave you the trait stoned, mm-hmm. it was actually like. I saw you as this like flawed politician mm-hmm. who could be better, and so my instinct was like, I want to be in a relationship with them to fix them. Yeah. Um, and then, so <laughs> funnily enough, I was playing towards a dominant resolution of our uh, relationship. <laughs> Destiny. Yeah. So, so more or less, that meant that I, uh, <laughs> I was trying to have, I was trying to be happier than he was, and also um, like this one trait I had to have a ton of. Yeah. Um, so I didn't end up having that. And if the funny thing is that if I had, then we would have stayed together. Right. Um, I would have kind of become broken in a sense. Yeah. Um, but. And that's uh, a real, yeah. that's a real thing in relationships. You know, we, it reminds me a lot of a game that we had played a bit ago called Another Lost Phone, which is the sequel to an amazing game called A, a Normal Lost Phone. Um, both you can play on your iPhone, on your commute to work. They're, super amazing mm-hmm. um but it it's more uh without going into it too much it kind of exposes that in that kind of thing where in a relationship it can be easy to feel like things are normal and it can be scary to think about uh is this is this relationship like purely functional is it like strictly better than being alone because we all know what aloneness is like yeah and and also that um there's a lot of moments where you're in a relationship and you feel like, oh, you know, it was just a bad day. You know, like they're they're dealing with a lot of stuff. Um, and after a certain point, you know, you do start to ask yourself, is this me? You know, like is this us? Is there something going on here that's that's not going to change? And 
and I felt like both of our characters were kind of in denial for most of our playthrough of Fog of Love um, in a way that, you know, they were in a fog of love. They, like, really thought that they were happy when they just weren't. And, and yeah. one of the one of the really cool things, I think, um, so early on in the game, you we had to both choose the answer to the, que- the, the question. It was, like, a major impasse. It was, like, a new chapter had just come up, and it was, you know, like, where where do you see this headed? And Ben said, uh, I think this is the start of something that's like super cool. And then I said, I don't know, it's like kind of a rocky start, but there could be something here if we work at it. Um, and then that was kind of a turning point now that I'm like thinking about it more. Mm-hmm. Because after that moment, I started kind of controlling you. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being way happier in the relationship. Um, and you... Uh, we're not. Yeah. Well, I kept I kept trying to make it more of an equal partnership, and and uh, Annabelle kept taking advantage of that of that goodwill. Um, she kept kind of taking moments of of uh, Gracie giving her the space to make choices for both of them and getting hurt by it. Um, Yay! And and. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it is this thing where like uh, when you care about somebody, it takes a, a lot of of you hearing the same thing over and over again for it to finally sink in, and and for you to accept, you know, something here is not working. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really uh, incredible little simulation, and again, the the kind of role playing elements in it are great because. The game encourages you. First of all, it says explicitly you're not playing yourselves because it's trying. It's not trying it says to destroy it like four relationships. Times. <laughs> it says it like four times. Yeah. Like <laughs> so, the first and despite hearing this, Ben got his traits and he was like, "Oh, I'm Ben. <laughs> These traits are Ben." Yeah. So then, uh, and it's great because they give you the traits, and then like a few cards later in the tutorial, they're like. Just to emphasize again, you're not you. You're playing with someone. <laughs> um, but then kind of the, again, the game gives you the space. You know, there are lots of cards that says, like, what's your ideal dinner date? And uh, you, like, if you could date anyone, who would, you, who would it be? And you can choose, like, a movie star or, like, someone working to help people or whatever. But or even it, something as mundane as, like, what is what are we eating for breakfast? Right. And then, and then... Um, on some of those cards, it says, you know, explain in more detail. So the game is is literally giving you, like, telling you to uh, elaborate in a way that, that uses your creativity that's not coming from the game. Um, but then on top of that, you know, because Brian and I enjoy role-playing stuff so much, we were in character for basically the whole time. And when something would happen, like a little scene would, would go down... Uh, we would both react to it in character, um, which which made the whole thing way more fun. But also, again, the fun was coming from, you know, me being able to pretend that I was this small town uh, girl who's now trying to be a politician and like watching Brian pretending to be this like really tough, hard and fast ad executive and you know, if I if I had played that game with a different person, it would have been a different experience, even if they made all the same mechanical choices, um, because I just love hanging with Brian. Yeah, and so that I mean, I mean, we recommend this game so much. 
and especially if, if you have someone else uh, in your life, whether they're a close friend or something else, um, and you like really like the way they think about relationships and how they see and process things, uh, this game will be amazing to play with them because it's it, it's all of that like super hyper concentrated. And it's not with someone you know, so you don't feel as guilty when you're doing it. <laughs> so that's Fog of Love. Uh, but that's not the only cooperative board game that we've played recently. No. We didn't get to finish, but we started and played a decent chunk of a game that we love very dearly called Sentinels of the Multiverse. Yeah, so so Brian and I were uh, roommates in college after a certain point, and... Uh, Sentinels was a game that one of the, the biggest games to kind of uh, get us excited to to come home and, and hang out together because um, in it it's an entirely new superhero world with which doesn't doesn't use the same lore as Marvel or DC or anything and the with really nice art yeah and that's a, that's a thing art. that uh, we haven't mentioned before despite it being amazing like Catacombs is one of the most beautiful, beautiful. games. Uh, Fog of Love has really, really simple, awesome design, clean, yeah. clean, modern, and Sentinels is it's like custom drawn superheroes. Comic, it feels like you're playing a comic book, which is awesome, amazing. Um, but but yeah, and that there's uh, there's a villain and a team of superheroes who are fighting the villain in a specific environment, and uh, the game is really good again at these co-op mechanics where the villain deck plays itself. You just flip cards over, and then those cards tell you how to play the deck. Um, so all of the players, what they're doing with their agency is really figuring out ways to strategize together and figure out how as a team you can defeat this, this evil, uh, entity that you're, you're trying to stop from doing some horrible thing in the world. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the, the mechanics are really focused around interdependence and characters helping one another, uh, rather than just kind of you play well you win that's the, the definitely the first time you play you feel like all right this is my hand of cards i'm gonna play stuff and i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna like the, the best thing i could do for me is like play this card and deal two damage to the enemy i'm gonna be very helpful to the team um and then you you play more and then you play a lot more like we have <laughs> and you not only understand that like some characters when you play them it'll be a bit boring but they help the team a lot um so most of our playthroughs, one of the characters I took is this character called Legacy, who's like basically cut copy uh, Superman. Yeah. Uh, but and he doesn't do anything particularly helpful or fun, uh, except he gives a like a damage buff to all of his team. So um, it was just like the smartest thing we could take in most comps because mm-hmm. when you know having everybody else deal more damage was pretty critical. Yeah. So. Um, definitely encourages that and then i think the coolest thing for me about that game is the heroes you're playing feel super super different Mm -hmm. and we've played it so much that we can tell you like all right here's what this hero is good at here's how they play but that only happened because we played it so many times that we know and process all of that totally and and uh to kind of in a more general note um one thing that that's so great about games is that the kind of story the experience of a game is is in most part coming from mechanics it's not coming from traditional plot elements so um the the experience of playing a character like uh expatriate who's like this badass uh 
Lone Ranger war veteran. She got guns. That's her. her... Yeah, shoots stuff up left and right. Um, The experience of playing her is very different than an experience of playing someone like Legacy, where as Legacy, you really do feel like you're being a hero and like you're helping your team and your, your abilities are all about, you know, rallying your, your friends and giving them encouragement and, you know, um, sacrificing yourself. He has a lot of cards that are like martyr, martyr focused um, versus a character like expatriate. You just feel like you're like in the, in the thick of it, like shooting all the time and and getting a new gun and unloading all your ammo and stuff like that. Um, And it, and again, the experience is coming from, the the mechanics because you know expatriate has cards in her deck that are you know here's a gun do more damage or whatever um and that feels different yeah and i think the best example of it is there's a character called tachyon who's mm-hmm. kind of like the flash so like the the game is trying to get you to play like fast so basically her she she's useless for almost all the game uh, she, her goal is to play all of the cards in her deck. Right. And then she has these cards that say, you deal damage to one enemy based on how many cards are in your discard pile. Yeah. And so you you basically, you're like... And then after that, you have you do like your big, massive thing. So it, <laughs> it feels unlike anything else in like any other game I've ever experienced, really, but also definitely in Sentinels, where it's like, it is this character who you're encouraged to just like, play a card that says you play an additional card and then you play an additional card and then you just like play a bunch of cards mm-hmm. and then you're just working through your deck and then someone's like, oh, someone needs to discard a card. You're like, yes, yeah, me. I want, <laughs> I would like to discard a card, please. Um, it's just really cool. It's, it is insane. It's just like super different from everything. And you're like, all right, well, oh, there's a Kraken out that has 15 health and it's going to kill our lowest health member. Well, now is my One time. Shot. Pow! And she just kills it. So it's super cool. Yeah. Yes, indeed. It's like the CD without the disc. It's like the egg without the whisk. It's like the whisk without the prong. It's like the singer without the song. It's like the song without the writer. It's like the suburbs without the whiter. So... Brian, this is this has been a very exciting week for you for concerts. Very hypey. Very hypey. It's been hypey for at least a year. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so more or less this year started out, and I, I wanted to be more consciously choosing things that made me happy to do with my time. So one, one thing that that's for me is concerts. Um, so... I've been going to a lot of concerts, and it all culminated this week. And Friday, I went to my 100th concert of 2017, uh, which Woo! felt really cool. Uh, as a, I'm a data nerd, as I'm sure the five people listening to this podcast will know. Um, so what that means is uh, I get really excited by arbitrary numbers. So hitting 100 concerts in a, in a year, I can't tell you why it's nice, but it just feels really good. <laughs> well, even for people who aren't data nerds, Hitting a hundred anything feels like an accomplishment. Yeah. That's an accomplished number. Yeah. <laughs> Some accomplishments are less fun. Like, this is my 100th meal of toast, which we've probably hit in this apartment. Oh, way before our 100th <laughs> concert. <laughs> but but no, it's it's something that, that you've been uh, really excited about for a while. And I think that one of the, the coolest things for me um, 
in you getting to 100 concerts is that even though you are a data nerd and you do get happy because of numbers, you've been choosing shows to go to not just to hit a number, but because you really love the bands you see. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I was telling you this. I was coming home from the show on Friday, and I was looking at my spreadsheet <laughs> of all the bands that I've seen. And, like, half half of the concerts I've been to this year are, like, insanely memorable for me. And that's that's a that's a really amazing metric of success rate for going to 100 shows. And it's not like the, the half that aren't super memorable weren't fun shows they were still fun shows but it wasn't like oh my god lcd sound system Blah. yeah so <laughs> so it, so yeah uh do you want to go into a little detail about who you saw this week because because yeah. other than the fact that you hit 100 concerts this is this is also uh, a different kind of record-breaking week for you yes so um i've done this before in college granted but this is the first time this year well i'll have gone to seven shows in seven days um which is an arbitrary thing that i like to track um, and I've done it ever since I hit that, um, back when CMJ was a thing, shout out to you if you know what that is, but it's, it was the most amazing, like all the venues in New York participate in this thing where just a thousand bands are going to play every second of the day for a whole week. It was a very <laughs> nice time. Um, saw a lot of good stuff back in the day, but yeah, so seven, seven bands. So we're currently, uh, five in. So next week we'll have an update. On the last two, will they have been good shows? You'll find out. Um, but this week, uh, it started out with me seeing Spoon twice, mm-hmm. uh, which was amazing. Because as I realized at the show, Spoon is the, the band of all bands that I like the most songs of, hmm. which is a big deal. They just don't make bad music. Mm-hmm. And they've made it for a long time and very consistently. So, like, you can pretty much point to any Spoon album, and I can say, I like all those songs, which is a really impressive fact. Uh, and it's all because the lead singer's voice is really nice. Mm-hmm. It's just really cool. Very emotive, like, very big on, like, ah, and you're like, yeah, yeah, you feel it. You feel this. It's really good. It's so good. Uh, night two was definitely better than night one, because night one, um, Brit's guitar wasn't working which he was very distracted, and you could notice. Um, I mean, it was still awesome, but night two was so much better because he was clearly, like, he he had all this stuff sorted out, and he was, like, very tuned in because the uh, recording was uh, recorded live. So I, like, told my mom about it, <laughs> and she was like, ah, I see you, and I'm like, I knew it because I'm front and center. Um, yeah, Spoon, it's, it, like, they literally would start any song, and I would, I would go, woo! fuck yeah it's this song because like every song they have is good that's insane uh yeah and oh it's second show they played anything you want uh which is off of one of their first few albums and it's such a nice little song it's it's so good yeah and everything though everything new album stuff is really amazing um they're all showmen they're all really good at their instruments and they have a really cool way of writing music too so there's another podcast uh called song exploder and they take one so they bring in a band and and have them talk about how they wrote like one song they're like 10 minute episodes so they're really quick um and you can just like find the ones that your band does and then look at them so spoon did one on this song called inside out um which is amazing it's like this really chill um atmospheric 
grand song that's just like time's gone inside out and it's just a song where you're like i get that like it feels like a song where time is going inside out which is really cool and on this episode of song exploder they're talking about it and more or less there was a demo and then Britt was like all right so why don't we try to record a version of the song which is us playing and making an like an ll cool j album and then they were like, okay, so let's imagine what they they sound like if they were in Spoon. <laughs> and that's what the result is. And it's this really cool, like, time desynced kind of like hip-hop beat to the song. It's really, really good. So Spoon was great. Um, and amazing that after that is a band called Maximo Park, who I saw on Thursday, who I and I got home and I, the first thing I told Ben was like, Okay, so they're rubbish. They're like, <laughs> not objectively a good like Spoon is objectively amazing. Uh, Maximo Park are like definitely an angst band. They like pump the microphone stand, uh, and but they're a ton of fun. And they had a couple really good albums back when I was a teenager. And the second you hear Apply Some Pressure or Our Velocity or Books from Boxes, I lost it, and I was shouting, and my voice was gone after those three shows uh it's really awesome i uh i was uh working with my friend casey who who has some some overlap with brian's taste in music and i mentioned i mentioned that brian had seen maxima park and casey was like whoa that's like a, <laughs> such a throwback and and yeah i shared i shared with casey that story about how like it just started and like you just lost yourself in the same like high school angst that you felt back when you first yeah. loved them. And Casey was like, yeah, I totally, I totally get where that comes from. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and we had briefly discussed this, but it's a really interesting thing where music, music is a lot kinder to nostalgia than other things are. So like all these people you have, so if you have like really fun memories of like a video game or a TV show that you watched when you were way younger and you go back and revisit them, you're like, Ooh, this is my tastes have changed. This isn't great. But with music, you go back and as long as you imparted some kind of emotional value on a song, you're gonna go back and listen to it and like it, um, especially live. Yeah, songs songs are much better at feeling stuff, um, and and I think that the the thinking side of things. Um, they're they're pretty good at but the like emotion side of things i mean they're literal vibrations you know like you're oh. you're you're like feeling feeling especially like like you said when you're seeing a show live and the speakers are like blasting in front of you and the bass is just uh you know hitting you like a wave after wave after wave that's that's an experience that you know is so much more grounded and in experience than than um something more thinky like a a book or a movie or something like that um so so yeah i can i can totally understand why the the experience from the past feels a lot more real to you and and stays a lot longer yeah so yeah that was maximum park uh and then Friday, the 100th show, uh, <laughs> uh, is a, a band called Jessica, uh, well, a person named Jessica Lee Mayfield, um, who's just really nice. Um, her, I think her, the easiest way to describe her deal is she is kind of like a, she's a country voice, 
but what they play is um, kind of like the bummer rock kind of thing, which I'm normally not super into, but with her voice super works because um, it ends up feeling like a folk song that's just got like really floaty guitar around her. Um, and it, it works super well. Um, it sounded really good. Um, her, her mic was a little under at the beginning and then they kind of raised her levels and everything was fine. But yeah, they're really good. If you like the like chill wavy kind of stuff, she's really cool. Cause she, again, is a very emotive and has this like really interesting twang to it that I think adds something that a lot of folks in the genre don't have where they're like, man, she's, she's on her own level with that. Um, so that was that. And then last night I saw Jungle. Uh, who I've been hyped on for years. Like, we were, back when we were in the dorm and playing Sentinels of the Multiverse, I remember showing you they had a music video where there's just, like, a kid doing some insane, awesome rollerblading moves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were like, wait, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just, like, so funky. Like, they're very percussive, have, like, very shiny um, sound to it. Like, all of the electric guitar is like doom 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 down like that kind of sound like mm, all over yeah, the place funk. funk oh it's funk it's so good <laughs> and that like their first album just has so many of these songs that are just like can't take the heat like they're just like really really good just like so fun um they've got like five people singing any particular line in any song um and it's all it's all this like high pitched falsetto thing, which works super well with funk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's it was like big and bright, and it just felt right. Um, so yeah, it's great. And it's you know, it was a lot of those shows, three of those shows were sold out. Um, four of those shows were sold out, um, which I I track mostly because it actually improves the show a lot. I think when when it's sold out, just because there's more people there and people are feeling it. Yeah. Really good. Again, it's like that, like not to not to be too much of a hippie, but it's that like energy vibrations thing of like being in a room of people who are excited and like feeling the air vibrate with the music happening. It's just like it it really hits you at this at this like deeper experience level. I, that was very hippie. Yeah. You, a, your I'm preface okay was it. was voided. <laughs> boom. Boom. Dip, boom, boom, dip, boom, dip, boom, dip, boom, dip, dip, boom, dip. Yes, indeed. It's like the mic without the screen. It's like the eggs without the green. It's like the green without the orcs. It's like this cutlery without the forks. It's like the forks without the path. It's like the anger without the wrath. But that's not all. So we also played some video games. We did. And just to, to give a little a little context to us in video games, um, uh, I I played games when I was younger, and then I stopped playing entirely in college. And you played League, right? Yeah, and, a lot in college. Yeah, League of Legends, um, but but not not really anything outside of that, right? For the most part. Yeah, I mean, with it was I was one of those people. I'm sure a lot of people are like this played Pokemon when I was young mm-hmm. um, and have some fond memories of like PC gaming that my brother and I would play when our parents were fighting. <laughs> but yeah, I was never the player. I was always the watcher. So I, I had never been the one playing games other than League 
but I again I was playing League because my friends in Ohio were playing it and it was nice to talk to them. It wasn't about the game, although I'm sure that's a that's a piece of it. Your mind is telling you it's not about the game, but like it is a bit. Um, but it's, it's got to be good. It's mostly about the the like social, and that's and that's a obviously a huge phenomenon. There's a lot to tackle. Yeah, if you're talking about like gaming as a social thing in the 21st century, let's just sweep that under the rug yeah. right now uh, and, and go back to our histories. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I I um I played a little more intensely when I was younger. Um, and my favorite series uh by the time I graduated high school when I stopped playing games was The Witcher. Um, because I've always love medieval history and what is the witcher (laughs) so so the witcher is is a um a universe that was created by a polish author and then adapted by a polish video game studio into this kind of sprawling fantasy role-playing game um where you're playing as a, a traveling monster slayer who kind of gets gets involved in lots of political shenanigans um and uh it's it's really special for me because again, like I, I loved fantasy growing up. Um, not necessarily Tolkien-esque fantasy, but just kind of fictionalized medieval worlds. And um, I, I grew up around folk tales because my mom's a professional storyteller. Um, and The Witcher um, for the first two games really um, struck me as this this world that both felt like it was this wonderful fantasy place to exist um, that that was based in folklore um, rather than Tolkien in a big way. Um, but on a, on a deeper level, um, the game tried and sometimes failed at being specifically a game for adults. You know, like I, I love Prince of Persia growing up, but Prince of Persia doesn't grapple with ideas in kind of a three-dimensional, mature morally ambiguous kind of way um and uh the witcher admittedly has made some pretty awful missteps being a game for adults but um but witcher 3 the game that that um has become the most popular in the series uh really does make some pretty major leaps forward in that regard um and uh i i started playing video games again specifically to play witcher 3 after I graduated college, and that opened Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, Pandora's box is well open, and and now called Boo Radley, which is my gaming computer, which because... I fondly call Boop Radley. <laughs> yeah, my my, uh, my password is Boop Radley. Um, but uh, yeah, feel free to hack in. Um, but Boo Boo Radley is is an allusion to uh, to Kill Mockingbird because uh, he is a shut in, and that's. You're in some ways, a, you're going to be a shadow. Yeah, I kind of am, but <laughs> but um, the the good part about opening Pandora's box, other than the world ending, was um, that a lot of very exciting stuff came out. So, and it turns out video games are good. Yeah, it does. They're really good. And um, one of one of the ones that got both me and Brian to a whole new level of excitement around them as life is strange. But so I, I we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. discuss some of those things when we have less to talk about. That's true. So but, anyway, uh, <laughs> well, well, one other quick anecdote on us and games. So as someone who's lived with Ben and known Ben for six years now, yeah. I haven't, I haven't lived with him for but whatever yeah. you get the point. Yeah. Uh, one of the coolest things for me has Ben has constantly been on a journey to find like the best storytelling medium. 
Um, this is usually the way I introduce Ben to people because I think it colors a lot as to like who he is as a human. So he, he's constantly trying to find the thing that is the best at like telling human stories. So uh, he never watched movies much growing up. And then he watched his first like proper good movie. And he was like, oh, my God, movies are the best thing ever. And then he watched like literally every movie. Yeah, I, I work my way through the AFI top 100 list. And then Ben uh, went chugging along thinking movies are grand. Then he saw The Wire. Changed my life. <laughs> changed his life. And he was like, wait, movies are garbo. TV shows, so much better. They have so much more to play with. They have these much more interesting uh, storylines. More people exist in them. Like they're so they're so everything. And then you watch every TV show. Yeah, certainly every like major dramatic TV show because that's my 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 zone. And then Blend played The Witcher Three. Yeah, and he was like, "Why would I watch TV when I could play a video game?" Right. Because and the, and it's. It's not just because, um, like, there are things in video games that are designed to be addictive, because that's in the other mediums, too. It's something about you as the player being able to be in the thing makes it that much more immersive, and you get a lot more empathy, and also, if you're just talking about... Because there's... Obviously, there's the whole storytelling side, but then there's also the, like, mechanics side. Which is where, also the storytelling side. Exactly. But there's... A, I mean, some games that are super lovely just have, like, a lot to bite into and are really nice to just, like, lose yourself in doing a thing and playing it really well and having this, like, really complex problem that you can play in real time with, like, really gorgeous things around you the whole time. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting also because there's, there's certainly games that you know, if you have the time and patience and energy and a certain amount of, of uh, reflexes and skill, you can dig into them like Witcher 3. Um, but there are other games that are not as demanding of your time and attention, which are also like really, really fun experiences. Indie games! So um, one indie game that, that Brian and I have, have been really into for a while that we finally finished with our friend Ryan this past week um, is this game called Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. And it's just, it is just the best looking game ever. <laughs> it's got like the retro kind of style, but like the Pastel. whole game is, the whole game is like, and you're saving love. So your spaceship is like, oh, it's, everything is love. You like save bunnies and it's like everything that it should be, it is. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's really impressive actually, because the, they're playing with these very like, um, kind of overly happy again like saturated pastel colors and cartoonishly cute characters and it feels like the whole thing could be this uh unpleasant experience that's so overwhelmingly kind of uh too too cute and perfect but they do a really good job of balancing the cute parts of it with the the um challenge parts of it yeah um especially because uh i tend to push toward a harder difficulty level and in games that are cooperative like lovers in a dangerous space time i kind of pull my friends with me ben so, is really good at video games <laughs> yeah i played a lot um but um the the challenge of like needing to to work as a team in order to get through these like cute but difficult situations that suddenly made the experience for me go from this like fun romp to this like really exciting engaging experience in a very like 
over the top cute world. Oh, it was amazing. It's you know we had we had moments all over the place where we would win like throw our controllers to the ground basically jump up and like <laughs> hug each other and embrace because it's it's the game it's it's one of the best games um a bit like overcooked which we'll talk about at some point Someday, in the future I bet. yeah but um it's this game where you play it and you're like oh yeah like we did this like mm. my friends are awesome they were like everyone is essential to us succeeding yeah, and it actually it captures the same joy and and collaboration as and and sometimes dysfunction as this game this board game that I love called Space Cadets. Space Cadets, um, which we don't play because it's really long. Um, but the the thing that I love about Lovers in Dangerous Space Time is this experience of like I can't do another person's job. Like if I'm if I'm steering the ship and someone else is is using the guns, like I just have to trust that they're going to be there. And the best experiences is like. If you if you're uh, close to to getting destroyed and there's an asteroid belt and you're the you're the the helms person the captain or whatever and you decide you know don't don't think twice just like charge through and your gunner is like right there and they blast you a hole through the asteroid field and you make it through by the skin of your teeth like that's an experience like nothing else yeah and yeah I mean. Also, it's just it encourages such a silly atmosphere where, like, the entire time we were playing, like, as like people were running into stuff, we're like, Captain, Captain, are you drunk? Are you drunk, Captain? And it's a game that like lends itself to that. Like, we yes, the people playing it were very silly, silly, but but like the game, the game encouraged it so much that it like super came to life. Well, and that's why that that art style was so great is because it did suggest this. experience that was supposed to be kind of playful and whimsical. and whimsical and not this like super heavy intense like i am the captain of a spaceship like there's a there's a virtual reality simulator where you're um on the star trek bridge and that game is similar like everyone has a position that they have to do but the tone is much more intense and that feels kind of overwhelming to me in a lot of ways and with lovers there's this light-hearted play element that i think really helps the experience be much more engaging and accessible to people. It's good. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, historically, because I love games that are very challenging, and also Brian has this history of enjoying watching games, um, even though you play a lot more than you used to, um, the... the um, really core game in that regard for me has been dark souls um as it has for many people in the world um and <laughs> but let's not dive down yeah, that rabbit hole not. too much but in in, in <laughs> that in that same vein um they just ported this ps4 exclusive to pc um called neo and i was kind of excited about it but you know i have tons of games to play and stuff like that so brian was really nice and i impulse bought it yeah he bought it <laughs> for me as a as like a gift of sorts um and uh and so we've been playing through together and and brian and i played through dark souls 3 shoulder to shoulder the whole time um and which was super lovely yeah and and what was what's really interesting about a game like like dark souls or neo is that there's so many elements of of challenge and design working at the same time from navigating to executing in in a fight properly to 
um, kind of more tactical choices while fighting. Um, so our our ongoing joke slash totally real real thing is that Brian's my coach, and I'm like I'm like his his like prime fighter um, and prize fighter. And the the thing that's so cool about Neo is that they they did a really good job of not just making it another Dark Souls. They really made it its own game. Um, and uh, in Dark Souls, once you kind of get the systems, which are kind of the the most complex parts of the game it's it's a pretty simple um combat type of game where it's like don't corner yourself dodge at the right time attack when you have a window you win you know um but neo they introduced this whole new thing about um different fighting stances and chi pulses and um it 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 creates this this whole new uh room of of uh, tactics based on different situations that you're in so that you know it, it can be overwhelming to have that much to think about by by yourself but when Brian are playing together suddenly Brian can be there to kind of micro my choices about how to how to play in certain situations and it's both uh, from a strategic standpoint helpful but it's also in terms of like playing together it's really fun and it's yeah it's um, I think the 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 most interesting example i always think of is like ben literally will play better if there's just someone next to him saying don't get greedy don't get greedy don't get greedy don't get greedy um because <laughs> those those games they're they're designed to to make you like, i'm one hit away yeah i could just finish him <laughs> but then like you go in when you shouldn't be going in it's like encouraging you to not be patient and you will die for it right and and uh what i like to say about those kinds of games is that um whereas a lot of games the the key engaging emotional element is this fun, playful aspect for games like Dark Souls and Neo. It's it's more so that the pain just stops temporarily. So and when you loves that, <laughs> I love that experience. But in, in situation to situation, when you're in a moment where like everything is frustrating and and overwhelming and painful, all you want is for the pain to stop. So you do feel this mechanical instinct to just make it end and just charge in and get the kill but more often than not that gets you killed which makes you more frustrated and it's this feedback loop of feeling really uh overwhelmed and intense and like you need to to go back in and and kind of reclaim that little uh piece of you that was lost when you failed um and it is helpful to have someone at your side. Yeah. Who Income, you income's coach <laughs> who just literally says, no, live through the pain and then it's all good. Um, yeah. And you mentioned a few mechanics in Neo that uh, there's no way anyone listening to this podcast would know what they are. Like That's pulse, But just to like give a, a like a really quick overview of like why why folks love things like Dark Souls or Neo for their combat is it's. You know, there's a lot of different, like, every weapon has its own set of things. Uh, there's so many things you can do in real time. But I think the main thing about them is that there's this, they all revolve around this idea of, like, stamina-based combat, mm-hmm. which is more or less, you you have, like, a bar, and then every time you dodge or make an attack, that bar goes down by a certain amount. Um, so it means that you can't do everything you want to do whenever you want it. You have to really gauge what you can do when... And sometimes in the fight, you just need to stand there and wait, um, yeah. which is a very interesting mechanic to introduce into combat. So 
when Ben says something like cheap pulse, it's it's like an it's an interesting way to play with that stamina management. Yeah. Um, and we won't get into it too much, but um, just the that's that's an interesting system in and of itself to encourage people to not always be going or uh, you know. Well, I think one reason that they're so popular, especially among the group of people that are the most excited about them, is like you, um, like me, is <laughs> is this. Um, this kind of mechanical maturity so um games are getting way better at at as a as a whole speaking to a much broader audience and um some really ugly people who play games have a problem with that um which is a whole not another can of worms but um i i love the fact that there are so many different games for so many different types of people and if you aren't like willing to put in tons of time and effort and if you don't want an experience that's super intense and overwhelming you can find a game that's you know not that demanding of of you to be perfect to have it keep going you know it's not like if i miss this jump then i fail or if i don't if i don't kill this enemy right then i have to do it all over again um and and there's so many amazing games like that one of which we'll talk about in just a second um but i think that one thing that um you know as games are trying to become the most exciting for the least effort for a lot of people um there is this this feeling of you know i want something that that challenges me not just as i said like with the witcher on this on this maturity of content level and of narrative level but also maturity in terms of mechanics and you know if there are games that that are you know, in, in my opinion, in, in a great way, kind of handholding people more, um, it, it's it's better to have, or it's it's good to also have another type of game for people who want that extra level of uh, mechanical complexity. So that you know, when when I'm playing a game, uh, I know that if I succeed, it's because I did all of the right things at all the right times on all of these different levels, and that for me is a rewarding experience yeah i mean i think with all things like having this the full spectrum available is just better yep um so it's neo that's so neo and speaking of games that that are not targeted for those frothing at the mouth insane uh hardcore gamers that like are more like me <laughs> um there's there's a really awesome game that we tried yesterday called ode yes um so we haven't like properly completed or anything we played one of we played part of one of the four levels that it comes with, um, but its hook is basically that you move around in this world and everything is musical. So you like touch a thing and then it starts playing music and adds to an ambient an ambient track that's already playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so inherently, I was like, I I need this game because yeah. any game that is about music, so. There's a difference between music in a game being good and a game being about music. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in both. <laughs> and, you know, one of the reasons Life is Strange was such an insane knockout for me was the music. But mm-hmm. um, Well, well, another, another interesting way. reference for Ode is is this game Dungeon of the em- Endless. Oh, no, sorry. What, what was that one called? Um, uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Yeah, Crypt of the Necrodancer, right. Necrodancer. Sorry. It's a game where uh, you're doing combat where you're attacking enemies and stuff, but... Uh, you are incented to move on every beat of a rhythm and you can choose your own music for it. So it's <laughs> amazing. It's so good. Um, so I'm, I'm looking for that high again. So we, we got Ode. 
Uh, and you play as like a little dude in a little ball and you're rolling around this world and picking up uh, these other balls. And uh, the cool thing about having those balls is that you can um, throw them, which means that if you're in a room where whenever you hit a thing with, with yourself or with a ball, it makes music, you can get this big army of uh, things if you have 40 of them throw them into the whole room and then this is music explosion happens which is awesome totally and and mechanically it's very simple you know you can move you have some control over the camera which is one of the weaker parts of the game. whatever but, you, you um, can move you can jump and you can throw things right basically but the other thing that you can do is call them back to you right um which is the same mechanic as in this game called overlord where you can kind of like send your minions out and then call them back um and ode uses it really well because again it would be really frustrating to uh, pick up this army of, of uh, little ball-like friends to, to make music with and then throw them and then have to go re-find them and pick them back up one at a time. So it's the same way that like it's way more fun to like throw a bunch of cards on the ground than just to pick them back up, 52-card pickup kind of thing. Um, so with this game, it gives you a mechanic so to that it automatically... only throw cards. Yeah, exactly. So you, you, get, to, you get to kind of toss toss this little army of balls around and make music and then you don't have to grind through finding them again you can just summon them back to you um and keep the the momentum of the of the play and of the music going and ben sounds very positive about this despite it being a game that's like so not for him (laughs) like we played for almost an hour 45 um and ben was so bored yeah but i was having a hell of a time whereas (laughs) i because it's there's this constant beat and music and stuff happening, um, and so I was just like random freestyle singing like, and I got my balls and I throw them again and I pick them up and I throw them again and I was just doing that for like forty five <laughs> minutes as Ben can attest to. Yeah, um, and it just like encourages you to be in that headspace and to like, if you're if you're trying to beat the game, you're doing the game wrong. It's right. like totally about the experience. Well, that's why I thought Crypt of the Necrodancer is an interesting example because that has much more traditional gamified elements to yeah. it. Um, like I, I've shown games that are like owed to people before and some people have, especially people who play a lot of games, have this, um, this wall that they can't get past where they're like, well, what's the win condition? You know, like how do I, how do I win? And that's that's something that I think um, is a shame in a lot of ways because again the kind of experience of a game can be fun and and fulfilling in and of itself. Um, but so, not for Ben. <laughs> yeah, not for, not for me. But I love I love that there are things in the world for people who are not me because that's what anyone who is not entirely selfish should think. <laughs> but um, but back but, back to things that are in the world for you. Yes. Uh, we've played a decent amount of uh, this game that I can never remember the name of because we only call it Orkies. Yeah. <laughs> so Orkies is, is our, our um, pet name for this game called Middle Earth Shadow of War. Which is a bad name. It's a horrible name, and it's a horrible game. They should game. have called it Orkies. <laughs> well, so the, the whole... It's the sequel to this game, Shadow of Mordor, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. Um, and the the essence of that game was basically we're making our new, a new lord of the rings plot line that that is pretty loose fast and loose with lord of the rings lore um and while at the same time being like 
exactly like every other Lord of the Rings thing you've ever heard in your life. Like, there's a ranger and the ring of power and, like, feeling like you're you're trapped and needing to be honorable and save the blah, blah, blah. And it's really, it's really kind of forgettable, bland, high fantasy stuff. Yeah, um, Ben was making me fall asleep just then talking yeah, about that. For sure, and, and I was making myself fall asleep also. But the the game, right toward the end of the first game, they introduced this mechanic where you could um, basically mind control an orc. And the the whole thing is that it takes this, this much more deep dive into orc society and you kind of see how some are carpenters and some are builders and some are in the army and they all kind of say funny things to one another and you know they uh they also get into all these different spats and either they like go out trying to prove their honor by like killing a huge beast or they'll like get pissed off at each other and and like fight to the death and in the midst of this you have this ability to go in and, and um kind of convert them over to your team which feels a little bit horrifying on one level but on another level it's this like really fun experience of kind of strategically inserting a sleeper agent into uh, a complex hierarchical uh, force and then having them turn so in the first game you could only kind of like control little orcs and then send them in and in a big fight you could turn them on their masters um, but the the new game uh is really all about kind of slowly going into these areas and picking out orcs to kind of when you finally do assault a fortress and take it over to kind of rule over that fortress but ben how do you pick the orcs well i'm glad you asked that question (laughs) uh because they're some of them are really funny so <laughs> there's definitely players out in the world who enjoy this game because they want to get the like most brutal, terrifying, scary orcs. The baddies. But, the baddies. But we like we like the the ones that that are basically like the underdogs. They're like they're like these runty orcs who never had a chance, and we like to find them and put them in positions of power. <laughs> so so uh, all of our all of our orcs are hand selected. They're very funny. Yeah, to be funny and and stupid. We had an experience early on in Shadow of War where we had um, an orc called like Grunk the Brilliant or something. Yeah, who. We were like, "Oh, this is gonna be awesome! Like, they're gonna they're gonna be a great tactician to well, rule we, them." We met him, and he was very funny. He was we pretty were funny. very excited. Yeah, he was very smart. He was like a bookish orc. He made rhymes and it, stuff. Yeah, but then he turned on us, and and he he like tried to kill us, and we decided that he was too smart, and we needed to get orcs that were not as smart. So. Um, the the one that I am the most in love with that's probably the reason that I keep playing the game is this one orc who's called Osgrel's the Mindless and Osgrel's the Mindless is so mindless he's he's this huge like tr- almost troll like orc and he's got some of his brains hanging out and like a little metal thing on his head to try to keep his head together and he's incapable of having any thoughts other than don't know I don't know I don't know so anytime he gets into like uh, a fight or something that's all he's capable of saying which is awesome because he's now the commander of a region <laughs> and so they were getting know. invaded and then they cut over to this dude and the, you know all the soldiers were looking up to him for the big rousing speech and he's like i don't know <laughs> it's amazing and it's and it's fun because it's like every time you encounter one of these orcs they kind of have this moment in the spotlight where they uh they kind of do a thing that that 
says what their character is. Um, but like a, addressing you directly. Yeah. Um, and that's how we fell in love with us girls in the first place. But also, um, us girls in the middle of a fight, you'll just hear diegetically in the background him screaming, I don't know, as he's like pulverizing a tiny orc. Um, so it's it's really fun. Yeah. And your your orcs can die. Yeah. That's so so uh, I'll, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell this one last story and then we can move on. But um, I I was more because lot again video games um, historically have tried to steal a lot from from uh, film and TV as they've gotten more cinematic from a from a graphical standpoint. And um, I played tons of video games before where there's a traditional kind of film turning point where a character you've grown to love is killed and it's this like really um like sappy meaningless moment that you kind of see coming a mile away but one of the reasons that shadow of wars and shadow of mordor are are some of the most exciting triple a narrative designed games for years is this idea of kind of procedural generation of story um so we encountered this orc whose name was Posh the Screamer. And Posh, Posh yeah, Posh the Screamer, as as his name suggested, basically could only scream. And and, he, and not only could he scream, but when he was when he was hyped up about something, when he was excited, he would flail his arms and legs around and jump back and forth. And he was just this big ball of energy. And he was this tiny little orc who had so much just enthusiasm for being alive. Can you and, I- imitate the screaming for yeah, the folks at home? Tell you, he would go, <laughs> and jump around, and it was amazing. And it was we really wanted him to be the leader of his region. He was so excited. He was so excited because we thought that when when it was time to give a rousing speech, rather than some orc going out and saying like, "Today we feast on the flesh of our enemies" or whatever, it would or, just be this. I don't know. Or I don't know. It would just be this one who was like, Wah! and then all the other orcs would get really excited. Um, but in the in the assault on that fortress, Posh was killed, um, and we we didn't get like a big cinematic moment. We don't even know how or when it happened. We just in the in the the moment the aftermath we, yeah the aftermath looking over the carnage, uh, this orc that we'd grown really fond of had been killed, and and there's no there's no like mechanic in the game to resurrect fallen orcs or to like find ways to to get a new one that's like the old one you know that's an easy simple like oh i want this i get it it's this permadeath thing where once they're gone they're gone and and it was it was i mean you joked with me later sort of that it's this strange experience that's sort of like the the same kind of thing you go through as uh an actual tactician who you know you care about the people that you're you're sending in a battle but the 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 essence of of war a battle is that you know people get killed and and it and it is this like really weird kind of like backwards way to look at um violence in general and how like even though it can seem exciting and and you know the fight for power is so thrilling well you live you live for those assaults too where like the game is about the assaults totally and and Suddenly, this this orc who you know, I I didn't need Posh the Screamer to be in charge of the world. I just wanted Posh the Screamer to stay around and like 
always be able to put a smile on my face whenever I wanted to be around him, but he's gone, you know, and it was my, it was my choice. You know, if I, if I had been more, uh, aware of, of Posh and the assault, or if I had chosen to not send Posh into this violent, dangerous situation, then Posh might still be around, but Posh is gone forever, and forever. And, and, you know, for a game that is at its core, like, pretty bland fantasy stuff that's like pretty deep and like fun and interesting in a way that i don't think that any other medium could have created well yeah yeah. what what like what medium allows you to make your own narrative about okay you your first orc that you get on your team is this brilliant awesome amazing tactician and the first thing he does is trade on you so then for the rest of the game you're gonna go about the land <laughs> finding the stupidest orcs so that they won't traitor you and then and then when you find one that you love then your your choice to send them into a dangerous situation gets them killed like again that's that's a story that that I feel so much more connected to than any kind of bland Hollywood script with you know, uh, three acts and plants and payoffs and character arcs and all this stuff. Like, Ben's a writer. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I feel I feel so much more connected to these these orcs because you know Brian and I are working together in this world to make our own choices and then have the world react to them. So um, given that it's kind of a, a bland game, it's actually really really special. And that's so to wrap things up with our last thing of the week. Um, I've had to have I've had some time where just like little windows where I had to kill time. Um, ben wasn't home or something because if Ben's home, we're hanging out. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been playing a game called Epic Manager, um, which isn't necessarily amazing, but is definitely very fun and definitely great time sink. Um, it's very simple. It's you. It's a game about you being a person running an adventuring agency. So you draft and have contracts for your adventurers who you go and send in missions. Um, the combat is this like really simple like turn-based thing where you get a certain number of action points, which is how much stuff you can do, and you have abilities that cost a certain amount of those, or you could just attack um, or hold them out so that in one turn you can just like super go ham um and it's a game that has like all those little things about it but at the core you're a business so you're like you have a certain amount of money and you take contracts and you have you can at one point get multiple different parties so normally you only have a party of four people but you get a certain point in the game and then you get another group of people and you like two adventuring parties at the same time um it's just really easy to just spend a lot of time in there it's just really well done it's got that uh, classic like one more turn thing in games mm-hmm. where you're like yeah i can just but like i need to get to the thing and that thing's two turns away so i'll just play two more turns and there's something just also objectively funny about it's again it's kind of like when you give personality to like randomly generated things yeah then they end up becoming a lot more meaningful so like when i when i draft in my draft like anderson wansonson then I care a lot about Anderson Watson when he goes and fights, and then I'm gonna spend all my health bots keeping him alive, even <laughs> though I'm wasting money. Um, it's cool when things get you to do things 
that you know are inefficient because you love the thing so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll talk about XCOM at a later date at some <laughs> point. But that's the ultimate game for that. Rest in peace, Hoop and Popper. Hoop and Popper. Um, well, so one, one thing that stands out to me that's interesting is that Epic Manager and Shadow of War both have are set in kind of fantasy worlds. And it's about managing a team of characters who don't inherently have any uh, major uh, plot behind them you know um and i think that they using very different systems you know shadow of war is a triple a game it's very like animation heavy it's not super systems heavy versus epic manager is an indie game it's much more about the number crunching and like tactics that don't require reflexes and stuff like that um but i think that it is a really interesting case study in how you know using different frameworks because we have different sensibilities about games, um, there really is something that's exciting and engaging about these uh, emergent narratives, where where there's not some brilliant writer in a room somewhere creating for you an experience that will change your mind, like blow your mind. It's it's like you yourself are the author of your own story in a way, and if you have a world that is reactive and uh has enough depth and and dynamic to it so that um you really feel like you have to to take action to deal with what what's coming your way um and what you want out of the game um it really does create a story and and you are creating a story um that that is unique to video games yeah, Ben Ben loves emergent narrative design. Yeah. And if you hang out with him for any amount of time, you'll probably hear about it. <laughs> but uh yeah, it definitely it's a beautiful thing and um definitely one of my favorite parts of playing a game like Life is Strange was um the the main character's name is Max and we after we finished playing both Ben and I, we sat and talked together about our Chloe, our Max and our Chloe, uh, who's the other main character. Uh and that's that's magical. Like, that's insane. Like, yeah. the idea that, like, you had a version of Max that was, like, real and made choices and, like, existed. And, and I had a version of Max. And she was very different. And the game didn't do anything to make them different. It just gave players the choice to do that. And uh, create we created two very different people, which is amazing. Totally. And I think the, you know, stories historically have been about people hearing uh, a... a another person's life and then imposing their own experiences on that and how they process it. Um, so if you tell someone the same uh, story and don't give them like a moral, like an Aesop fable, you know, if they, if they just are hearing uh, something that happened to a person or that a person did with a beginning, middle and end um, from their own lives, they're going to kind of um, put meaning on it. And what's so interesting about games is that unlike a more passive type of of storytelling like uh, a book or a movie or a tv show or whatever else um with a game you're not only the one who is receiving the story you're the, also the one who's shaping the story so especially with games like life is strange or the witcher or whatever where there's kind of choice-based narrative design or even games where the choice-based narrative design is more mechanically driven and less kind of narrative branch driven um it is really interesting so that 
you know, when you are playing a game, you're, you're experiencing a story that's influenced by you and your own instincts and sensibilities about things. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's a special, uh, type of way to absorb narrative that you don't get anywhere else. Yeah. Video games, they're good. They're good. So at this point, we'd like to thank you for listening to episode one of the Yes Indeed podcast. Um, we will be back next week with a few things we've already teased. We're having Board Game Sunday in a few minutes, so we'll have some games to talk about there. I'm going to some concerts. Will we play video games during the week? Nobody knows. Probably yes. <laughs> Almost certainly. Almost yes. certainly yes. Um, yeah, if you liked this, uh, I think I'm going to upload it to iTunes. So uh, here all the podcasts say that you should rate and review us on iTunes because more people will find our podcasts. Obviously, we're niche, but fine. If you want to do that, that's cool. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.